We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. needs. It is Tuesday, August 31st, and I'm joined by James Anderson, making a triumphant return to the Rotowire NBA podcast. James, I feel like in years past, we would probably start with like a 15 to 25 minute conversation breaking down the Kanye West album. I don't want to go down that road this time. I don't know if you've listened, um, but we'll, we'll save that for a future podcast. Or not. I mean, I, I haven't listened to it. I don't really plan on it, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we're mostly going to stick to NBA uh, gambling, uh, futures specifically. So we're going to go in a, a wildly different direction from Kanye West. If I had to set the odds on chances that James Anderson has listened to any of the Kanye album by now, I would have I would have had it at probably plus fifteen hundred that you had. Yeah, I think that's those are decent odds. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I have not. Uh, if somebody I trusted told me, like, you got to check this out, I probably would, but uh, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Not a single person has come to you. Um, <laughs> well, let's dive right in. We, we have a lot to cover. We're going to jump around, hit uh, a bunch of futures. You and I will be doing our annual win total pods for both the East and the West, uh, likely later this month, maybe early October, obviously at some point before the NBA season begins. But I, I want to dive into... You know, we'll kind of ease into it, I guess. The NBA title odds uh, for the 2021-22 season, not a ton has changed. We've seen a few tweaks here and there. Um, there there's been some shakeups, obviously, you know, at, at the top with the Lakers, um, adding Russell Westbrook, uh, filling in, basically turning over the entire uh, glut of role players during free agency. But at the end of the day, the Brooklyn Nets are still the favorites at plus 220. We have the Lakers installed at plus 380. The Milwaukee Bucks, 9-1. to The Warriors, 10-1. to and then you have a large swath of teams that, it, to me, it kind of feels like are in the same tier where maybe everything breaks right like it did for Phoenix last season, and all of a sudden they're in title contention. 
or you know they're maybe one move away from acquiring a player who could push them into that uh, title contention tier. And I'm talking Phoenix, Utah, Philly, the Clippers, Denver, Dallas, Miami, Atlanta. I, I probably cuts off at Boston at 40 to one. Uh, we're using the DraftKings sportsbook for these odds. Um, but I, I know I just named a bunch of teams and threw out a bunch of numbers. Uh, you can start wherever you want on this, whether it's at the top or or some teams in the middle that you find a little more interesting. Yeah, well, I, I don't, you know, I think the Nets at plus 2,200 or pl- uh, plus 220, I should say. Um, what, what book is I that? Think, <laughs> um, I mean, I think that that's, that's pretty good. Uh, I mean, I, I think they are absolutely like the clear favorite and if uh you know if we got to the playoffs and their big three are are all healthy i mean i think it would they'd be like minus 200 or something like that uh at that point so i mean you're basically betting right now that those guys are healthy in time for the playoffs i don't really think it matters what seed they get so like you know, you could probably withstand, like if Kyrie Irving missed like 30 games during the regular season, but it's ready to go for the playoffs. I don't think that you're, you're really worried about that. Um, so I, I don't mind the nets, uh, even with them being heavy favorites. Um, well, let, let me interject on the nets real quickly. I, I looked up the 2018, 19 preseason odds. That was the final year of Durant in golden state. The warriors were minus 168 favorites to win the title before the start of the season. So maybe this Nets team isn't quite as dominant as that Warriors team, you know, especially relative to the rest of the league, because at that point, LeBron had gone to the Lakers, kind of take, took a one-year hiatus from contending for a title. Um, I mean, it says a lot that the Boston Celtics had the second highest title odds, uh, according to basketball reference, coming into that season. So, you know, do you want to compare the Nets to that Warriors team? Like, I, I think for a team that pretty much everyone universally agrees, like you said, if this team is fully healthy going into the playoffs, going into the finals, they will win. There's not a team that can beat them. Getting that team at plus 220, to me, does feel like a pretty decent bargain. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking, too. Like, it's just if we all agree that they are the clear, like, massive favorites, usually for, like, an NBA uh, team like that, you, you're you not getting maybe quite this favorable of odds. And just the fact that, to me, there's – there's a bigger drop off from them to the next team as things stand right now than like these odds, like the, the gap in these odds between the Nets and the Lakers, to me, that gap is, should be bigger. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's decent value. Um, you know, with, with a lot of these Western conference teams, I'd probably just rather bet them to win the conference. Uh, you're obviously not going to get, quite as long of odds but you know like the mavericks plus 1300 to win the west uh you know the the jazz plus 700 to win the west uh even the nuggets you know just on the off chance that jamal murray is back and and ready to go uh plus a thousand i mean i I don't mind those like i I wouldn't necessarily bet on those teams to win the finals just because i think the Nets and the Bucks are still, you know, teams I'd probably favor against all those teams in a, in a finals matchup. So I'd just rather pick these West teams to get out of the, the conference. But uh, those are decent bets. I mean, you know, the, the Bucks plus 900, I think that that's fine. 
I wouldn't rush out to bet it, but I mean, I think you could make a case for betting it. I think you're spot on about those teams in the Western Conference. Um, your point about the Bucks, I, I think, is is well taken because, like, I, I, Lakers Bucks to me would maybe be a wash. We'll see how those teams develop throughout the season, but we've we've already seen Milwaukee get to the mountaintop, and, and we know the Lakers are going to have some some pretty major roadblocks. I think in terms of their own roster to get there, let alone the teams that they need to get through. Uh, to to make it to the NBA Finals, but you're basically like if you're betting on a Western Conference team to win the title, you know you're you're one it's a man it's a lot it's kind of a minefield getting out of the West, and two, you know you need you basically need there to be an injury for the Brooklyn Nets, right? Like do do either you or I believe that any team in the Western Conference could take down the fully healthy Nets? I don't. No, no, right. So I, I just don't think there's a ton of value and betting the Lakers at plus 380 to win the title. And, and you know, you're not getting the, the greatest number on them at plus 180 to win the West, but you're still getting plus money. Like, I, I feel so much better about the Lakers winning the Western Conference. I would confidently right now say, yes, I think the Lakers will win the West. I don't have any confidence that the Lakers are going to win the title because there are two teams in the East that I think are better than them. And the chances that both of those teams don't make it through, especially after what we saw last year, it feels like we're due for hopefully a course correction on injuries. It just seems really unlikely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's basically where I'm at. I mean, I think the Nets plus 220, the Bucks plus 900, those are fine bets. I like the Nets one a little bit more, I think. But then, yeah, if you want to uh, place a bet on these Western Conference teams, I mean, I, I think it's very wide open. Um, you know, if, if everyone's fully healthy come the playoffs, I'd probably favor the Lakers to come out of the conference but i mean if they're you know even if they're just down like one role one good role player or, or something and they run up against a fully healthy jazz team or something like that i mean like I, I think the west is wide open enough and i think these these long shots have some intrigue to me on the the conference winner side if there's one thing we appreciate here at rotowire it's making good decisions and even more so, making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. All right, let's go to some of the win total odds that are available on the DraftKings Sportsbook. And again, you and I will do you know full breakdowns of each of these as the season nears. And you have some articles that are going to be up on the site as well. Uh, really looking forward to reading those. Uh, kind of breaking down some of your favorite numbers that are available uh, on some of the sports books right now. Give us a sneak peek. Like, what are some of the, the team win total numbers that you have your eye on right now? 
Yeah, so uh, I, I wrote down nine that are that are kind of my my favorites. Uh, we don't have to spend a ton of time on on all of them or anything like that. But uh, one that I really really like is the Raptors over thirty seven and a half. Um, you know, I think the it was just a total uh, mess for this team last year. Like, not only were they you know, they're used to playing in Toronto. All of a sudden they're playing in Florida. Uh, so, I mean, they just, you know, a lot of these guys just didn't really have their normal support structure um, going on last season. Um, I think the, the Pascal Siakam thing was just super, you know, you, you couldn't really see that coming. And it and like the reporting, at least that I've seen, um, at least kind of makes it seem like it's all uh, – water under the bridge at least between him and and the organization i know he's he's you know he might miss uh the start of the season but um you know just having a you know a, a pascal siakam who is engaged is happy is is you know is, is doing the right things and everything like that i think that would go a long way for this team i i don't think that the downgrade from kyle lowry to goran dragic is massive uh it's it's noticeable, but not, not huge. And then I think, uh, like, I think Precious Achua is going to give this team a lot this year. And just in general, their center play this year is going to be noticeably better than it was last year. Like Kem Birch, I think is fine. And, uh, Achua's, I think he's going to be a really good fit. And I think this team's really, really going to defend, uh, you know, having, you know, their starting lineup basically when they're healthy, uh, it's going to be a really good defensive lineup. And, um, you know, the scoring load, I mean, it's going to be a lot on, you know, Van Vliet and Siakam and Dragic and stuff, but I think this team can win with defense and they still have one of the best coaches in the league. So uh, I just, you know, I don't, I don't see this team outright tanking the way they did last year. And if they don't do that, uh, they might, you know, they might as well go try to get the the five seed or even the four seed, and I think that they have enough talent to do that. So I, I just, I think this line's about five wins too low, honestly. You said you saw it at thirty-seven and a half, right? Oh, that might have been on FanDuel. I, I've, okay, I was kind of uh, cherry picking um, whichever site had the mo- more favorable one for. Uh, the bets like that that's right. what i'll be writing about um right well i'm seeing 35 on draft yeah so, now I yeah i was gonna I say that, you probably like that even more now yeah that uh that must have gone down with that siakam news actually so yeah um now i you know the siakam news is not nothing i mean that he's you know either best or second best maybe third best player i mean so that's the fact that he might miss a miss a couple weeks you know that matters but i mean I, yeah, I would I would hammer the over on uh, thirty five and a half. It looks like you got to pay. I mean, it's going to be minus one twenty right. on DraftKings, so uh, you got to pay up for it. But um, you know, I I don't know. Do you think I'm off base there? No, not at all. I, I think the best point you made is like I, I think oftentimes you know people when you make these bets you look at all right, what was last season's record? Like okay, can they add five wins over that? Like will they be that much better? I don't think you can look at last season for Toronto at all and take anything from it. You know, for one, 
you know, you're losing Kyle Lowry. Two, you know, you're playing all your games in a completely unfamiliar city. Three, it's still a pandemic season that, you know, didn't even feel real for half of it. And then the biggest point, which you said, is they blatantly take their way pretty much out of play-in consideration when, for a while there, like in, you know, like mid-April, it felt like they were going to make a charge. And if they really wanted to, could have at least got the nine or the 10 in the East and, and really made it hard on, on that seven or the eight seed. Uh, but they, they just backed off. I mean, they lost 11 of their last 13 games down the stretch. And they, they had a stretch around the All-Star break when they were dealing with injuries, dealing with COVID, where they were like one in 14, I think, over a 15-game stretch. Like, just very un-Toronto-like stretches where you're seeing OG and Obi rested for six games in a row. You know, Kyle Lowry plays 30 minutes one night, sits the next two, plays 39 minutes the next, six and that's three. Fred Van Vliet was in that boat as well. Um, it, it felt like pretty much everything went wrong. And some of, the, some of those wounds were like self-inflicted, just the way that they handled that season. But there is no way that Toronto is that bad next season. Because I, I feel like when, when you even say, quote unquote, that bad, it was like a self-manufactured 27 and 45 season. You know, like I, I think they, they kind of chose that path halfway through the year. And obviously it paid off. They got the number four pick. They got Scotty Barnes. I, I think they now return to really pushing for the playoffs every single year. I, the one point that I maybe disagree on with you is I don't know that their their upside is like fourth or fifth in the East, just because I think that top seven in the East, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, New York, Atlanta, Miami, Boston, I, I don't really see any of those teams going anywhere. I think of that group, you know, New York probably has the most room to take a step back. But even so, it's not a massive step. So for Toronto to climb all the way up to fourth or fifth, I mean, you're talking a massive internal improvement plus probably two or three of those other teams <laughs> taking a pretty big step back. Well, yeah, I, I do. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I think the Celtics finish ahead of them. I think the Hawks finish ahead of them. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's one of my best bets, but I, I like the Sixers under quite a bit. I just think there's too much uncertainty there and uh, really too much sort of riding on Joel Embiid's health there. Uh, and then, yeah, um uh what was it the oh the Knicks yeah I mean I think the Raptors win more games than the Knicks this year um yes. but I, I, Knicks, I would like to bet Knicks, that one straight up somewhere the Knicks line unfortunately like I was hoping that the books would like get a little nuts on on where the Knicks line was going to be right. but uh, surprisingly rational only yeah it's only 41 and a half so I I would probably stay away from that um but my my next favorite one is uh the grizzlies under 41 and a half and this one is just you know a lot of this stuff has to do with just what is the team's motivation and i think the grizzlies basically showed us with their offseason moves of trading uh i don't know what was was balanchunas like clearly their second best player last year um, I mean, at, at, in terms of like pure fantasy production and pure numbers, there were times where he was pretty easily their best player when Morant was kind of going through. Yeah. Well, at least, I mean, I think in terms of just winning regular season games, he was an absolute rock for them. And uh, I think you take him away and bring in Steven Adams and, um, you know, that like they, they took a player of the draft, Zaire Williams, who's going to be a, a huge negative if he even plays at all this year for them. Um, 
And I, I just I think it's very, very clear that the, the Grizzlies are looking at the structure of the league right now and just they're zigging. All these teams are trying to compete, right? Like, you know, the, the Timberwolves desperately want to get into the playoffs. The Kings desperately want to get into the playoffs. The Pelicans desperately want to get into the playoffs. Uh, the Spurs aren't going to stop trying to win games. Uh, so it's basically just the Rockets and the Thunder out west who are clearly tanking. And I think the Grizzlies actually could end up being um, at least bottom four, maybe even bottom three in wins in the West, because I think that the front office has clearly decided like winning as many games as possible this year is not a priority at all. And we might want to get another top seven or eight pick. And then we really like put the pedal to the metal next year um, like John Morant, I think loves being there. I don't think they run the risk of like John Morant, uh, requesting a trade if they don't make the playoffs this year. Like they, I think they've got a good thing in place there. And it just seems to me like this is a team that is looking is, is kind of reading, um, the tea leaves on where all these other teams are headed. And it makes more sense to them to get a decent lottery pick rather than just try to get into the play in game. Whereas all these other teams that I just mentioned, like they like they there are jobs on the line for the Timberwolves and the Kings and the Pelicans getting into the playoffs this year. I agree with pretty much all that. I I just wonder if like have they constructed a team that has too high of a floor to allow that to happen? You know, like I I think I would have agreed with that going into last season even, where you're like, all right, we we outperformed expectations during Morant's rookie year. Nobody's going to care if, you know, if we kind of take a step back and we collect picks and all of a sudden we're picking third in this great draft. Um, and it kind of went the other way again. You know, they, they once again outperformed expectations, beat the Warriors in the play-in, you know, won their first playoff game against the one seed in Utah. And I, I do feel like there's, I, I think you're spot on with those moves. Like, you know, the, the picks that they acquired, um, you know, the cap space that they cleared for next summer. Not that they're a team that's going to go out and like sign a Kawhi Leonard type of free agent, but you're giving yourself the leeway to maybe slightly overpay, you know, for where you're located to to bring in like a really good role player or a secondary star. I, I think they they're doing that, but at the same time, I I just question like how motivated they will be or, or like how would they go about making sure they finish below all those teams we mentioned? Because like for as much as New Orleans, Sacramento, Minnesota, as desperately as those teams want to make the playoffs. They've also desperately wanted to make the playoffs the last like 10 years and haven't been able to do it. So it's like, I don't really trust those teams to be good enough to leapfrog them, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good point. I, I just think, uh, you know, this line to win this bet, they just have to go 500. And I don't, you know, is their floor like that much higher than that? Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I also think Jaron Jackson as appealing as he is for fantasy, I don't know that he's like a, a positive winning player in real life at this stage of his career because of just how shaky his defense is and, and how foul prone he is. Um, you know, he's a very, a very unique talent for his age uh, and his size, but um, you know, more of him and you, you know, you bring in Jaron Jackson, like, let's just, say he's maybe a net maybe he's like a just a, an even player maybe slightly negative you take away Jonas Valanciunas um I mean last year they were on a uh 43 win pace over 82 games I feel like taking Valanciunas off the team might just get them to this under by itself 
Um, maybe at the trade deadline that they're shopping like Kyle Anderson or something like that. Um, you know, I mean, they've got a lot of young players who, if they can just find a way to get them more minutes, I don't necessarily know if that leads to more wins for this team. So, um, you know, I, I think you make a good point about those other teams. Just maybe they're just not not competent enough to actually pass by the, the Grizzlies. But I think this over-under is, is high enough at 41 and a half. Uh, and the Balanchunas loss is going to be uh, noticeable enough for them in the regular season that I, I just think they get there. The Jared Jackson point is well taken. Alex and I talked about that last week, how he's becoming like alarmingly Porzingis-like already. Not just with the health issues, but with just like all he all he wants to do is block shots and like chuck eight threes a game. Not really interested in rebounding. You know, the defense that I think looked really promising his rookie year has kind of faded away. And again, it's it, it's been really hard to evaluate him these last couple of years because it seems like he's always in that post injury phase where you can't really tell like is he at 100 percent? Is this what he really looks like? But I, I just felt like watching him at the end of last season and into the playoffs he was just running like three point line to three point line. And all he wanted to do is just like trail and, and launch threes, which it's nice that he offers that as an option, but it felt like that became like almost too dominant of a, a part of his game. Yeah. I mean, it, Porzingis and Jackson are both, you know, this year really interested to see how both those guys play because I, uh, like I think Jackson, it's going to take like another year, um, for him to kind of play this way and then to kind of maybe realize he has to uh, put some work in on, on different aspects of his game. And with like with Porzingis, I think he kind of hit rock bottom last season and probably realizes that like, you know, I, I have to reestablish myself as this defensive force. Otherwise I'm just not going to be really taken seriously as, as a, as an all-star caliber player ever again. So um, that's an interesting comparison. All right. What are a few other win totals that you like? So I did just say that like the Pelicans are desperate uh, to make the playoffs, but I'm, I'm desperate to bet the under on 39 and a half wins from the Pelicans. Uh, they were on a 35 win pace last year over, over 82 games and their over under is 39 and a half. Uh. So they're supposed, they're supposed to be five wins better than they were last year. And uh, I, I mean, I know they added Valanchunas, but that probably made their defense worse, which is the already the worst part, part of their game. Like, um, so you, you, you make a, a slight defensive downgrade at the center. Um, you know, you, you swap out Lonzo ball for Devonte Graham. That's a massive defensive downgrade right there. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, like I'm I'm really surprised at that over under and I know Zion's good but like Zion hasn't proven that he's a guy that like can drag a team to 500 uh especially like the other like generational guys like the LeBron James types and like the Giannis types like those guys are two-way guys and Zion's still just a one-way player and so I just I mean is this going to be a bottom three defense in the league? Like I, I, I think it could be. And so if it's if it's that bad, I mean this this whole organization is about to go through some serious turmoil in the coming months and and years. But I just 
betting on this team to get to 40 wins just seems like a big mistake. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, we've, I feel like you and I and Alex and I have covered how we felt about the Pelicans offseason. And, you know, I, I feel like they got worse, right? At the very least, if you want to say that Zion's development maybe offsets uh, the loss of Lonzo Ball and, you know, what, what looks like it could be a pretty big negative defensively going from Steven Adams to Jonas Valanciunas. Although at the end of the day, I, I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference. I, I think Steven Adams has been a little overrated these last couple of years. You know, that that's fine. But like, I think this team got significantly worse in the backcourt unless Nikhil Alexander-Walker has been lighting up practices the last two years. And, you know, we're, we're about to see what that's going to be. I mean, I, how do you get excited about a backcourt rotation of Alexander Walker, Kyra Lewis, another guy who could be good down the road, maybe, but we really don't know anything about him. Uh, Sadoransky, who's bounced around and has kind of been a nice, like, third or fourth guard throughout his career. Not a guy you necessarily want to be competing for your starting point guard job. And then Devontae Graham, who is a nice shooter, had a really nice out-of-nowhere year in fantasy a couple of years ago, but it felt like really slammed back to earth last year and you know doesn't have a lot of size uh, you talk about the defensive downgrade going from Steven Adams to Valanciunas like the downgrade from Lonzo Ball to Devontae Graham I feel like is even bigger how many how many guards are going to go for over 40 points on this team this year many many I mean <laughs> this is this is the game like when when New Orleans was playing at Washington like circle that is the potential Brad Beal 75 point game yeah like yeah Brad Beal uh donovan mitchell uh devin booker like there's right. just there's a Jordan lot of guys who are really, really gonna be licking their chaps cam thomas um, <laughs> um and they yeah, also I have mean, no depth like i don't i don't want to just turn this into like bash the pelicans once again because i feel like we've done this so many times but it, it's not like you know like i like josh hart a lot like every team would want josh hart to be its sixth man but after that like Garrett Temple, fine. Nice, nice veteran player. You know, if he's your eighth guy, you feel good about that. Like Trey Murphy looked good in summer league. We'll see. Like who knows how that'll translate. And they they have like almost no depth in the front court. Like I, is Jackson Hayes even going to be available to play? Like he had, he had that legal incident a month or two ago. I have no idea what's going on there. Um, it, it sounds like, you know, the, the Hernan Gomez situation is, is somewhat up in the air right now. I mean, Najee Marshall is, is your backup power forward right now. Wendy and Gabriel is next in line. Like, you know, if, if something were to happen to Zion Williamson health-wise, this under hits, you know, he could miss two weeks and this under would hit automatically, it feels like, you know, and you know, that was such a big part, that was such a big part of the Zion narrative two seasons ago when, you know, he missed like basically the first 66% of the year and then looked great at the end. It was awesome that he barely missed time last year. That was a huge plus that I feel like nobody talked about considering how big of a concern it was, but it also doesn't feel like he's completely moved past that. Like, I, I don't think Zion Williamson... It's just like a 78-game player the rest of the way. No, I mean, I, I hope I hope he is. But, you know, for the for the purposes of this bet, I, I don't really think it matters a ton. Um, I mean, how about how about this? I got I got six more I had written down. How about I just list all six and then whichever one you think is most interesting we can hit? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Bulls under 43 and a half. Pacers over 42 and a half spurs over 28 and a half thunder under 23 and a half magic under 22 and a half and jazz over 51 and a half all right i want to hit two of them the bulls and the spurs i'll let you choose between those uh i think we 
touched on the Bulls a decent amount. I mean, at, at least I think that's been touched on plenty. I mean, I, I mostly just think their defense is going to be terrible. Um, so let's do the Spurs. Okay. So uh, I know I know you and Alex are super down on uh, the moves they made this past offseason. And, like, I don't think they're awesome moves necessarily, but I think the biggest move they made this past offseason was not bringing back DeMar DeRozan. And I think his absence uh, and the addition of Thad Young gives this team a chance to be a sneaky, really good defensive team. Um, like, Jakob Pertl was a dominant defensive center last year, and DeJounte Murray is one of the two or three best defensive point guards in the league. Um Derek White and Kelvin Johnson and Thad Young. And I mean, th- these are good defensive players. And so, I mean, you, you have a few weak spots, uh, Doug McDermott, although I would, I would argue Doug McDermott's actually a better defender than DeMar DeRozan. And, um, you know, maybe Devin Vassell takes a step forward. Uh, but I just, I think this, this Spurs defense is just too good for them to be at 28 and a half. Like, I, I think they probably finished low thirties, but this isn't, this isn't a team that is going to be tanking hard, uh, regardless of how the season goes. Like, it, I just can't picture this team being like, all right, we're shutting DeJounte down. We're shutting Pirtle down. Like, um, you know, they're, they're going to try to win as many games as they can. They're going to try to develop their young players to the best of their ability. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, when, when you take out DeRozan and you add in McDermott and Thad Young, you're getting better defensively and you're adding a player who can stretch the floor. I mean, I know you lose Patty Mills, but you get Brent Forbes back. Um, I just, I don't know. I think that they are, I mean, they're clearly not a playoff caliber team, um, but they were, they were on a 38 win pace last year over an 82 game season. And I think that the DeRozan loss arguably helps them when you factor in the other players they brought in. Saying Doug McDermott is arguably a better defender than DeMar DeRozan is, is a wild sentence, but it just might be true. And that, that speaks to, to where DeRozan is at, I think, defensively more than McDermott. No, that's a good case. It's a good case. And I, I think the bigger thing for me is that this number came in a little bit lower than I was expecting. I'm seeing 28 and a half on DraftKings. And, you know, anything under 30 is not great, but I thought there would maybe be a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt for the Spurs, potential last ride for pop momentum that would push this into the low 30s. And at, at 28 and a half, you certainly have to think about it. Um, I, I guess my question to you is like how much of the the Spurs mystique, you know, that in years past is kind of worth this like plus five wins bump, regardless of what the roster looks like. It's like, well, it's the Spurs. So, you know, whatever this number is, just say that they'll probably win five to seven more games. Like, do you still feel like that's there or did, has that kind of worn off over the last four or five years? Oh, I think, I mean, I, I think it should have 100% worn off. Uh, you know, I mean, this, like, I don't think Popovich is a top five coach anymore. I mean, he's probably closer to like the 15th best coach than the fifth best coach. Um, and I really, I just think basically every single player on this roster is underrated by the general public. And DeMar DeRozan, the player they lost, was probably one of the most overrated players in the entire league. And so I basically am just looking at, well, how good was this team last year? 
and are they that much worse this year? I would argue they're not that much worse this year. Like, I think this is like a 33 or 34 win team. And I think when we go back to just like, what are these teams motivations? This team will not be motivated to do anything other than try as hard as they can to win every game. So, um, you know, I think that'll give them the edge on certain nights, you know, down the stretch, inevitably some, some of these, cause not all of these 25 teams that are going into the year trying to win are going to realistically have a shot at the playoffs, even with the play in game. So by the end of the season, there's going to be seven or eight teams that are doing some version of right. tanking to improve their lottery odds. And the Spurs probably won't be one of them. Well, this certainly falls into the, you can't trust New Orleans, Sacramento, or Minnesota argument, right? Like when those teams are matching up, like even though I like Minnesota's roster better than I like the Spurs roster, I, I probably like the Kings roster better than I like the Spurs. Like it's not a game where you just say like, oh, that's an automatic win for the Kings or that's an automatic win for, for the Timberwolves. Like it, it, I would pick the Spurs in those games. So yeah, I mean, there, there's still, maybe the mystique is gone, but I, I still feel like there's something about the the way that they play, the way that they're coached, the way that they construct these rosters that I, I just have a little bit more faith that they're going to maximize them, maybe not to the same level that they did from like 2000 to 2016, but it, it does still feel like they, they have a leg up, at least on the other teams that are in the yeah. same pool as far as like roster caliber. Yeah, it's not going to be a complete mess. Like you could see like the Timberwolves just turning into a mess, right? Like where it's just a tire fire and like They're turning into a mess. Know, yeah. <laughs> where like Carl Anthony Towns wants a trade or like like I could picture D'Angelo Russell like thinking that he has the clout to demand a trade. At I, some I was going to say like, Jaden McDaniels demands a trade. <laughs> like um you, you just you know the Spurs. It's gonna be like a professional operation. They're they're all gonna you know it's yeah. I, I don't know. I mean I, I just think it's a bad line. Like it's right. it's not some case that oh this watch out for the Spurs this year. I just right. you know I think the it should the line should have been like thirty two and a half. All right, I'll, I'll give you over under uh, January second and a half before we get a Nas Reed trade demand. <laughs> Like oh, th- like three trade demands leak in the same week from from different different Timberwolves role players. Josh wants out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I want to talk about first coach fired in a second, but I, I do need to interject uh, within the last few minutes here. Uh, Keith Pompey, noted 76ers reporter with the Philly Inquirer, uh, reports something not all that surprising, but we, we now have firm reporting from a respected source that Ben Simmons no longer wants to be a Sixer and says he does not intend to report to training camp. I, I kind of skimmed through the article as we were chatting, and it, it basically said, like, Ben Simmons gave some quote that was like, yeah, I don't really care about the money. I'll take the fine. I just signed a $150 million deal. So the, the, the crux of the article, beyond the obvious, is that Philadelphia has now lost a decent amount of whatever leverage it had left. Uh, obviously, you know, Ben Simmons, the asset had diminished quite a bit uh, at, at the end of the playoffs against Atlanta, but there was still a, a fair amount of leverage. And, and part of that being, you know, Daryl Morey's the type of GM that's not going to take 50 cents on the dollar for what's still a pretty decent asset. But if Ben Simmons says, I'm not going back, I'm not going to training camp, I'm prepared to potentially sit out games, you know, that, that leverage now sinks a little bit lower for Philly. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I had sort of been thinking that Maury had been mishandling this the whole time, at least relative to how I would have handled it. I think the case for handling it the way he did was like, you know, if I trade Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum, we're not a title contender anyway. So I might as well hold out for like the 10% chance I can trade Ben Simmons for Dame Lillard or Ben B or Brad Beal. Um, I just, I think you ran more risk by not trading him and his value getting even lower uh, by either him not showing up or, you know, he shows up Philly fans are booing him from day one. He's shooting like 40% from the line. Like, you know, all of those scenarios seemed extremely possible, if not likely. Like, it, Ben Simmons wasn't the type of guy who was going to show up with some big chip on his shoulder and have a career year because of all this. So, I just, I think it got mishandled. And, yeah, I mean, like, there's no way of his value going up as long as he remains a member of the 76ers, right? Like, well, his value. Clearly, you have not been watching the videos he shared on his Instagram story. I did, yeah, I did see, like, what was that, maybe take 16 where he hit that? that <laughs> there, there was one of them just, like, crossing over and, like, splitting up, <laughs> a, like, a double team from, like, two 5'10 guys and finishing with a dunk. And, like, I think it was his trainer who posted it. He was like, how many guys can do this? Like, I, like 95% of the NBA? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, he, you know, that, gosh, that's too bad because I was, uh, I was really pumped about, um, writing about the 76ers under, I was at 51 and a half 
I mean, I don't even know if they're, you know, if, if they traded Ben Simmons for, uh, is there any other like really popular one that would be con- conceived as like um, selling low other than, than McCollum that I'm forgetting about? So it depends what you think about this player. But other than McCollum, the one that I've seen thrown around a decent amount is essentially a Simmons for De'Aaron Fox swap. Mm. And it, it should be noted in the Pompeii article, there was a it was just like a kind of a small note in the middle that said uh, something something to the effect of like Simmons has his sights set on being traded to one of the California teams. Not that he has any say in this whatsoever, but right. uh, presumably he would be interested in something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh... I think that'd be a pretty big win for the Sixers to get to turn him into Fox. Um, like Fox isn't a good, isn't as good a shooter as you would hope to get back as the, as the headliner, but at least Fox, you know, you know, he's going to try hard. He's not going to do anything crazy uh, in terms of turning down easy shots. And well, um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is he, he replaces some of what you're losing defensively. Whereas with McCollum, you're mm-hmm. kind of going like, all all time offense plus Embiid, you have to play both ways. Everybody else just worry about scoring. You know, like yeah, I, you're, I, I, you're, I love the fit of McCollum. Like, it, every, like he's one of those guys that like every team would love to have. But when you don't have another great defender on your roster other than Embiid, it's it's just asking a ton. Yeah, I don't know if the, that does seem like something the Kings would do, where they they've had Fox long enough to kind of realize that they don't have some sort of high upside core in place and so they might be more interested in the unknown of Simmons than continuing to run it back with Fox but um yeah I mean I I mean maybe Maury just thought like even if this situation happened it wasn't gonna take any of those middling offers off the table per se like so um yeah I'll be interested to see what happens I mean, does this really change anything? Like, like I said at the top, you know, it, it's it's now public that he doesn't want to come back. But but as you alluded to, like, was there really ever a scenario where Ben Simmons is back on opening night? Like, with everybody in that arena, even at home, like ready to boo him the second he misses three free throws in a row? Like, it, it to me, that never really seemed like a true option. It was it was like always he's going to get traded at some point. I mean, I guess I hadn't considered the possibility of sitting out games, but you know, like fans aside, it's like you know. MB dragged him through the mud. Doc Rivers basically dragged him through the mud. You know, for, by all accounts, he hasn't spoken with the team essentially since the end of the playoffs. Like, I, I know that like now publicly, this does take away some of the Sixers' perceived leverage. But I, I can't imagine that like this light all of a sudden goes on for these other teams. Like, oh, he's not going back. Like, I just don't think he was ever going back. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think he's. I mean, he maybe should have just done this. A month ago or two months ago. Right. This, this um, feels like Clutch Sports saying, like, all right, let's get this thing moving. Training camp's in four weeks. Yeah. I, I mean, I might have – yeah, I think they probably should have just done this four or six weeks ago because then Maury is more motivated to actually do something and, like – You yeah, know, you have a draft involved. Right. Yeah. yeah but I, 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 mean, think, I think I, you should have done it the day that Doc – the day that Doc and Embiid made those comments, and, and granted, this was like two days after the playoffs, but I, I think that's when right, right then you say like, hey, well, if, if you guys don't want me back, then I don't want to be back. Like, Because now it's like, all right, you were silent for two months, and now this kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, well, 
let's hope he gets traded soon because uh, I really can't wait to see what the haul is. Yeah, I, this could go any direction. And this also feels like a trade that comes completely out of nowhere at like 630 in the morning on a Wednesday. Like not one that's rumored for a couple of days. Like it just seems like you're going to look at your phone thinking it's any other Twitter alert. And then it's like a, a, a Woj mega bomb on this. Yeah. All right, let's look at uh, the 21-22 NBA projections, which hit the site last week. Alex and I broke these down in detail uh, on an episode last week. So if you want a, an even deeper dive, make sure to check that out. But uh, James, you're one of the guys every year on staff who I say, just like, take a look at the projections, you know, play with them, you know, mess around with different categories, uh, mess around with, with, you know, different ranking systems, whatever you want to do. And basically tell me which guys you think are too high, too low. And most of the time I'll say, yes, you're right. We can make some adjustments. Um, but we, we haven't really talked about it offline yet this year. So this is going to be kind of a, a James Anderson live critique uh, of the Rotowire NBA projections. Uh, I'm interested to see uh, which guys we maybe disagree on. Sure. I mean, so uh, one that jumps out right away to me is a games played um, thing between two big men who, uh, you know, Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis, you gave them both 68 games, which uh, in the formats, I like I usually play um, just Roto, eight categories. And in that format, it leads to Embiid ranking 13th and Anthony Davis ranking 15th. And, you know, I think you're fairly generous with the Embiid one. I think 68 to me, like I'd probably, I'd bet the under on 68 games for Embiid. Uh, but I would take the over on 68 games for Davis. And, you know, I know he's missed time. Um, like he missed, obviously missed a lot of time last year. But in the like, three prior years to that, I mean, he missed time that last year in New Orleans because he was like sitting out. Um, right. But I, you know, I just don't think they have a similar injury risk. And so I would have probably gone like, 74 games for Davis and maybe like 66 games for Embiid, which probably would lead to Anthony Davis being a borderline top 10 guy. And so that's, that's one that stood out to me in terms of like, why are these guys at the same amount of games played? So with Davis, he missed nine games two years ago. Um, that was the, his first year with the Lakers and then missed exactly half of the regular season last year with an injury that lingered into the playoffs. And I mean, Davis is tough because we've seen like early on in his career, he missed a bunch of time and then he was super healthy for essentially three straight seasons. Like you said, that 56 game year in 2018, 19 is a little misleading. He was basically healthy the entire year um, until he sat out for that trade request. So that one you could kind of throw out, but I, I don't know, man. I mean, I feel like with Davis, in general, with these guys, we we tend to be a little more conservative, you know, with with the games played estimate. Like if you're somebody who has a history of missing 10 plus games, we're not just going to go ahead and say, like, all right, this is the year that you're healthy. You know, we, we'd rather be wrong on like the less aggressive end, if that makes sense. You know, whereas, you know, we don't want to rank somebody, you know, second overall uh, in like a best case scenario and then have him like play his average number of games from the last few years. Um, I don't I mean, with, with Embiid, like. What what about last year makes you think that it goes the other way this year? Because some of the games that he did miss last year, um, you know, he did have the knee issue, but some of it was COVID related as well. Like 
I mean, do you not feel like he's kind of turned a corner health-wise after having similar concerns early in his career? Well, I mean, didn't he have like a, what was it, like a torn something? Partially torn meniscus in the playoffs. Yeah, Yeah, he only missed one game, but played through that. Well, right, but I mean, you know, he was, you know, I, I sort of expected him to play through that in the playoffs, but we basically saw him suffer a, like any knee injury or lower body injury for me with Embiid is a serious injury. So we basically yeah. saw him suffer a serious injury, like the last time we saw him playing. And I don't, I'm just, I'm very pessimistic with, I mean, if Embiid plays 68 games, that'll be the first time he's played over 64 games in his career. So I, I just, I'm much more like, I, I agree with your logic in terms of erring on the side of caution but I just I think I would have erred on more caution with Embiid. Just you know, I yeah. mean, he he's so big and he's just always. I, I I definitely get the the you know COVID was a was a big thing and you know fingers crossed that won't be a thing this year with him. But um, I don't know. I just I it seems like you know and projecting him for more than sixty five games just before he's ever done it seems a little yeah. bit uh, aggressive. Okay, that that point I'll take. Yeah, I, I think I think maybe we're a little too optimistic on Embiid. I Davis is it's going to be a little bit harder for me to budge on, and and you know some of this is like, you know, the actual projection versus like where do they rank? Because you don't want somebody who you know we believe is like a top ten player to rank in like the thirties because of his games played count. But obviously that is something you have mm-hmm. to take into account. I I don't necessarily think Anthony Davis is going to be an elite fantasy player even if he does play seventy five games this year you know I I think he take he he took a pretty big step back last season even when healthy and for a guy who's never been like an ultra elite rebounder for his size and athleticism I think it's kind of a worst case scenario bringing Westbrook into the mix who's you know going to steal a ton of rebounds from a guy who you know what what was what was Davis at last year again his rebounding took a big step back in addition to pretty much every other counting stat like I, I think he probably bounces back like Alex and I talked last week like he's somebody that seemingly needs like some sort of motivation to to really like reach his his peak, especially in the regular season. And I think a lot of people saying he you know kind of fell off a little bit last year. Maybe that is that motivation. But I, I just don't see his stats like jumping back up to like his peak years when you have LeBron there and then bringing Westbrook into the mix. Yeah, you know, I. I'm kind of maybe counting too much on his his pride and and uh just kind of like does he want to be a guy who doesn't make an all-nba team this this year like it's it's unclear i don't know it it, it didn't feel like he won the title and then kind of was like all right i'll just chill for a little bit and i'll I'll turn it on when i need to totally but then he clearly realized like oh um i'm not good enough to do this and like lebron i mean What's LeBron's reaction going to be like to Anthony Davis all off season? Like, do you think he's just being like, "Oh, I trust AD. He'll come into camp in shape and everything. It's it's all going to be good." Like, I I got to imagine there's a lot of internal pressure on him because this team has no chance if Anthony Davis isn't the elite defensive player we saw right. in the bubble. Like, like he has like, and I, I actually kind of like Anthony Davis plus seven hundred for defensive player of the year because. I think Frank Vogel's a good enough defensive coach where if he gets a engaged and healthy Anthony Davis, 
that's all he needs to anchor that defense and and have them really play above their personnel. And so I like I could see a, a scenario where Davis maybe has a, a career best year in in blocks per game and um, you know is one of the the leaders among big men in, in steals per game. And I think the point the point on the rebounds is is well taken because uh, you do have a rebound vulture in town now. So um, you're not gonna you're not gonna be up in the the 12 or 13 rebounds a game or anything like that. But um, you know maybe I shouldn't give Davis this this benefit of the doubt of like you, you know, I, I usually like whether it's baseball, basketball, whatever, like I, I usually like to invest in these studs coming off of uh, really disappointing seasons, just banking on them really putting in the time during the off season. Uh, maybe I'm giving him too much uh, credit there, but I just, I kind of see a, a big year from AD coming. And I, I mean, if you don't get a big year from AD, then this, this Lakers team just isn't really going anywhere. All right. What, what else you got for the projections? Okay. So I didn't have any that I thought were like, whoa, this guy's way too high. But I had five guys that I thought were uh, a little too low. Um, the first guy, no surprise, obviously, uh, LaMelo Ball. Um, you know, I, I think I, I'm kind of looking at his like per 36 minutes last year. And I, I just, I think he plays around 36 minutes a game this year. Um, obviously, towards the beginning of last year, he was coming off the bench, um, but like he was two steals per game in 36 minutes last year. So I, I think you're a little light on the the one and a half steals. Um, I think you're a little light on the the 7.1 assists for Lamelo. Like I think he's probably closer to 10 than to seven in year two. And I think he's up uh, around 20 points per game, and you guys got him at 18 and a half. So, um, you know, may might even be a little light on the rebounds too. Um, like I just, I think Lamelo is gonna be not. You know, I don't think he's gonna be a triple double per game, but I think it's gonna be fairly in that ballpark, um, just kind of with natural. Uh, growth and like I think you're maybe a little light on the minutes there too just given how young he is and given the fact that Devontae Graham's out of town and Lamelo's going to be the guy from day one um so what do you think about that yeah I, I don't think you're wrong I mean I, I think we're, we're probably a little light on the steals um you know the assists I could kind of go either way a lot of that was factored in is you know Gordon Hayward essentially missed like the second half of last season and that's when he really took off and you know, you presumably you have a, a basically like a 25 and five guy, Gordon Hayward, coming back. And chances are he misses 20 plus games again because it is Gordon Hayward. Um, but you still have Terry Rozier. You add Kelly Oubre. Um, it, it just feels like I, I think if those guys stay healthy, um, you know, it's not going to be 100 percent the Lamella ball show, even if it should be like those. Those guys are good enough, especially Hayward, to cut into that a little bit. Um, you know, minutes wise, I, I don't know that I would bump him up much further than we have him. I think he's at like just over 34 minutes per game, but your point still stands because he finished last year at 28.8 minutes per game. So even at 34.2, you know, if you think that's a little bit light, it's still almost like six more minutes per game than last year. So, you know, I, I get that if you just prorate the numbers, maybe he should be a little bit higher. Uh, but, you know, Alex and I did talk about this one and, you know, I, I think we went like a little too aggressive on, John Morant last year after he had a massive rookie year and won rookie of the year. 
Um, you know, he basically had the exact same season. And I'm not saying that happens to LaMelo, but I also don't know that it's a given that he jumps <clears> like 10 to 15 percent in every category, you know. So one one quick point on the assists. Um, I would I would guess that Bismack Biombo uh, bobbled two assists per game uh, last year and he is not in the picture anymore. And so if you're just if those passes are going to someone who does not have brick hands, uh, even if it's someone as boring as Mason Plumley or, um, you know, whatever. Like, I, I just think like the lob threats, like the lob threats are even better this year because like, yeah, you know, Plumlee Plumlee's better than Bayombo. I mean, who knows how much Kai Jones is going to play, but like Ubre and like, I think that that chemistry that, that he has with Bridges is only going to continue to, to improve. And um, so I just, I think the teammates he played with last year, like the upgrade in terms of finishers that he's got this year should help the assists a little bit too. I did not think about the Bismack bump, but I, I, I like where your, where your head is at here. This, this reminds me of my longstanding Tristan Thompson theory with LeBron. <laughs> And then, of course, it's like as soon as LeBron gets away from Tristan Thompson, he leads the league in assists. Like Tristan Thompson easily bobbled, in my mind, like seven assists per game for LeBron. Like LeBron should have been at like 16 assists per game. Like not just bobbling, but like coming down with an easy alley-oop and then like shuffling your beat and getting called for a travel and stuff like that. (laughs) No, Bayamba does the same thing, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, I mean, it's, you know, that's that's one one more case. Um, So my next one is, I think, I think you're a little too low on Zach Levine. Uh, now he, I mean, you guys got him plenty high and everything. Um, like on the rankings that I'm, my custom rankings here, he's 27. Uh, you know, I I know that you know there there are more mouths to feed, I guess, with DeRozan and Vucevic. But I think um, at least just kind of anecdotally in these situations where it's like, Oh, like, you know, there's only one basketball, like the, the guy who's the clear stud isn't the one who has to sacrifice in those cases. And Levine is the clear stud. Like he's just way better than those other two. Um, he's been there longer than those other two. I think he's going to have a better chemistry with Lonzo ball in terms of finish, finishing alley-oops and, um, playing, um, you know, transition. Like, I, I just think, you know, he's to me, I think he's a, a threat to average close to 30 points per game this year. So I think you guys are just a little too low on the, the points per game uh, with Levine. So I think you're right about that as far as like whichever one of the three. And I think it usually takes three stars to come together to even get to this situation. But whoever is the alpha dog of that group tends to sacrifice the least. Um, but I, I went and looked back at a number of guys who've teamed up and like one example was Kevin Durant, you know, his final year in OKC, 28.2 points per game. I believe he won the MVP that year. Um, wait, no, no, I, th- I think that was Steph that year. He, he had won the MVP the year before, whatever. Um, 28.2 points per game. He goes to Golden State. He's down to 25.1. Um, and he's never been back up to 28 since. He was at 26.9 last season. Um, and I know it's a slightly different situation. That Golden State team was, you know, even more established, you know, Levine is now the established guy. Guys are joining him. It's a little different when you're going to a different team, but well, it just, it just feels like that's like, I don't, I don't know that he can build on what he I did think, last year. I could see him replicating last year. I, I don't know about 30 points per game though. Well, I think in the Durant situations you highlighted, like how many times were those 
teams in like close games where they needed to win, like in the regular yeah. season. Not I mean, I, this this Bulls team, they have no margin for error, and uh, and Levine's about to be uh, an unrestricted free agent, and I think he's a guy who's going to benefit from the playing with Team USA. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's not 30, but I, I think at least 27. Like, I think that, I think Levine wants to – like, he probably thinks he's got a chance to start the All-Star game, let alone make the All-Star team. Like, so I, like, I think he is going to be uh, extremely thirsty uh, with the ball in his hands. And, yeah, I just I, – I really want him this year. And, like, he's coming out at 27 in these rankings. To me, he's a guy that I would take like early second round um, versus like late or versus early third round. Right. So would you move would you move Vucevic or DeRozan scoring down at all? We have both those guys like just a shade under 20 points per game. I think DeRozan's at like 19.3. Vucevic is at like 19.9, 19.8. Um, do, do you think those guys suffer at all or is it just a case of we're just slightly low on the beam? I mean, I'd say maybe Vucevic down a, a couple, but. I also, like I, I said the last time I was on the pod, like this team is going to be just gunning because um, their defense is just going to be absolutely terrible. And so I, I think there's just going to be a ton of points to go around. Like they're going to be in a lot of games where they lose, but they get to 120 points. Like I just, I mean, I think um, it's going to be a very fantasy friendly offense, especially because you have such a clear hierarchy. It's not like this team goes like, eight or nine deep of, of guys. Like, I mean, they've got a very clear, like Lonzo, you're going to set people up and then Levine, Vucevic and DeRozan, you're going to score points and yeah. everybody else just get out of the way. So mm-hmm. uh, I think, I think there's enough on the bone for all three of those. Guys. This is kind of an offshoot of Chicago Bulls talk, but what do you make of marketing in Cleveland? Like what, what is the fit there right now? Like uh, Kevin Love, I, I feel like we can just kind of move to the side. I know he said he doesn't want to be bought out. Uh, but even if he remains with the Cavs, he probably gets hurt immediately and plays in like 20 games. It's just a total non-factor. But like, let, let's say Love is healthy to begin the year. Is there a world in which Evan Mobley is somehow coming off the bench for this team? Um, I have no idea what the Cavs are doing. Um, it's not. It's not good. It's not good. I, like Evan Mobley could not. He could not really be in the. You know, like if they had let Jared Allen go in restricted free agency, then I think Laurie Markkinen makes a decent amount of sense because, you know, Mobley's really not big enough to play the five this year. But like Mobley and Markkinen playing together as like kind of your four and your five, like say a year and a half from now, maybe that's a really good fit. But with Jared Allen in the picture, you, I just I don't get it. I I don't. I mean, I you know how I feel about the Allen signing, but to me it's like you compounded a mistake with the Allen signing with the Markkinen acquisition. And uh, I really like Larry Nance. I mean, I I think uh, yeah. I mean, they got a first rounder back for him, but um, yeah. I just I I think Nance is is a better player than Markkinen pretty clearly. So I yeah I, I have no idea. Uh, what that was all about <laughs> yeah i mean obviously the giving up the pick isn't ideal but i, I love that move for portland I, I not that it really changes yeah. their calculus as far as like that I, I don't think they're a title contender all of a sudden but they're 
they definitely needed a guy who could play, I guess, three spots. Like Larry Nance was playing some small forward for the Cavs over these last couple of years. Obviously, that's not his best fit, but I, I think he's an excellent 25 minutes per game guy for Portland. Yeah, man, I, I don't know what Cleveland has going on at all. I, I feel bad for Evan Mobley that he has to deal with this. This this just feels like an even worse version of what the Bulls are doing. And I don't think either of us are, are too high on Chicago. But like we, we see we see teams kind of do this over and over and it almost never works out where, you know, you're in this deep rebuild and as painful as it can be, you know, you, you start to find some success. You know, the Sexton pick is, you know, you, you didn't land a perennial all-star, but you got a guy who's averaged, you know, 23, 24 points per game. Looks like he's going to be a pretty good player. Garland took a big step forward. All of a sudden you have some positive momentum. Everybody loves Evan Mobley. Like, why do you have to go in and give Jared Allen a hundred million dollars? Why do you have to go make this sign and trade for Laurie Marketing? Like is Isaac Okoro you know, a top five pick last year? Is he just kind of pushed to the side now? Like it, it just right. feels like they, you know, they, they are like way jumping the gun as far as yes. putting, these are like finishing touches moves, not yeah. moves that you make when you just won 25 games. The super, super obvious move was just, we have Garland, we have Okoro, we have Mobley. Let's be the worst team in the league this year. Let's try to get the number one pick again. And like, then maybe we have four guys we can build with. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's an acceptable worst team in the league. It's like a fun worst team in the league because yeah. you have you have like four guys who are developing on the fly and who are probably playing pretty well, but not well enough to win you games. It's ideal. Yeah, none of them are upset about their role or like, get me out of here. Like, they're all happy because they're getting plenty of shots, plenty of minutes. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, it's, I mean, we, uh, we're going to get to first coach and GM fired, but uh, we might be talking about the Cavs again here in a little bit. In a little bit. Right. And it'd be one thing if you, it'd be one thing if the Cavs like somehow went out and acquired Brad Beal and it's like, all right, we're, go- we're going for the playoffs next year. And, you know, with Brad Beal in the mix, maybe you are going to get to the playoffs. But, like these are these are moves that just like don't even move the needle, right? Like you have now what 170 million invested in Jared Allen and Laurie Markkinen, who have like a 0.5 percent chance of, of ever making an All Star team. Like I I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. And you you weren't even able to offload Kevin Love amidst all this madness. Yep. Uh. <laughs> yeah. If you have nothing more to say, that that is totally fine. All right, you you just kind of teased it. Um, First coach, first GM fired. I, I'm more interested in first coach fired. We will we will kind of do GM uh, along the way. But who, who are the prime candidates that we should be keeping an eye on? Uh, so I think Luke Walton. Um, you know, like this is kind of one of those. This always happens where they clearly should have fired Luke Walton after last season when they had just, you know, one of the worst defenses ever. But they didn't fire him for monetary reasons, basically. And so they go back into the season, you know, who knows what their owner's expectations are going to be in terms of them getting off to a good start or, or whatever. But, like, this team could easily be, like, eight games under 500 a couple months into the year, and the owner just gets pissed and fires the coach. Like, to me, that that seems pretty easy. Yeah, Luke Walton feels like the like hotshot college football coach who like was like a really good coordinator and everybody thought like this is a perfect hire. This guy's going to be great. He's great with the young guys. He's a program builder and it just hasn't worked out for whatever reason. Uh, I mean, almost like a Tom Herman in Texas situation, probably not quite as much hype around Luke Walton. But for a guy who like pretty quickly flamed out with the Lakers, 
you know, there was, it still felt like there was all this optimism, like, wow, the Kings stole Luke Walton away. What a great, you know, what a great hire. It hasn't really worked out. Usually once or twice a year, there's some rumblings that, you know, he doesn't get along with half the locker room. Like, it's kind of amazing that he still has a job. So, he, I mean, he's, he's definitely like the lowest hanging fruit, I think, going into the year. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, JB Bickerstaff, we're just talking about the Cavs, like, obviously, um, you know, they, they, uh, they tend to have, they tend to have uh, some turnover at the head coach position there in Cleveland. So, I mean, when you pay Jared Allen and Laurie Market and all this money, um, I'm guessing that they're not expecting to be a bottom five team in the league again this year, which they probably will be. So, you know, at a certain point, they're going to clean house one way or the other, whether it's after the season, during the season, whatever. Um, but I think Bickerstaff makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, Dwayne Casey, uh, I I don't really know what the internal expectations are for the Pistons in terms of wins this season. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're going to be very bad. And so uh, I think you also have like um, he was not a hire of um, blanking on the GM's name. But uh, whenever you have, you know, a new GM, Troy a new ish. Troy Weaver, whenever you have like a newish GM who didn't in, who inherited the coach, like the coach typically gets fired fairly soon, especially on a rebuilding team like this. So uh, those are three that come three that come to mind. Well, we have a lot of like first or second year coaches on the bad teams. You know, like it's hard to see, you know, in New Orleans, like Willie Green getting fired midseason, even though that situation is ripe for a firing. It, you're just not going to cut well, bait that early well also david griffin like david griffin doesn't have any david griffin will get fired before willie green gets fired yes no like, question like but, he, i mean he doesn't part have of it's just the way the timeline like, works out yeah yeah he can't get away with they're already paying stan van gundy a ton of money to not coach like if right. david griffin goes to the owner and tries to fire <laughs> willie green he's just gonna get fired right I'll, I'll throw out two more in the east these are two teams that finished 10th and 11th last year James Borrego in Charlotte, and one that I feel like is a little more obvious, Billy Donovan in Chicago, because we'll start with Donovan. Like, obviously, the Bulls have expectations when you make the moves that a team like them, you know, did this offseason. There are outsized expectations. I, I think I, I'm actually surprised how many people are outwardly down on the Bulls. Uh, there's, there's been a surprising amount of rationality when looking at this roster. But I, I think internally, they probably think they should finish like fourth in the East. And when they ultimately finish sixth or seventh or eighth or ninth, I think that's going to look like a disappointing season. I, I, I think he he's earned like a fairly long leash. Like they're not going to cut bait with Billy Donovan a month into the year. But if this is a team that's hovering below 500 at the all-star break, like it's definitely in the cards. Yeah. The, the reason why he wouldn't be like a top three candidate to me is just because like he was Arturis Karnisibus's like handpicked guy. Right. And so I think he gets, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like being, it depends how patient um, the Krause family or not um, the Reinsdorf family wants to be with uh, Karnisibus. But um, I mean, a lot of heads could roll there, but I just, yeah. I don't, I don't know it it seems like it's sort of too fresh and that marriage between coach and front office is a little too recent. Um, but I definitely think they're going to underperform 
I think everyone's expectations are going to be let down uh, among right. the, the higher ups there. For that one to happen, it probably takes a player mutiny where you know they're like seven games under 500 in early in early January, and all of a sudden it, it leaks that Billy Donovan is making them practice on Saturday mornings or, or something. And well, well, know, if, if Zach Levine if Zach Levine tells the front office right. like I'm out of here if Billy Donovan's still the coach, then he's gone. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Right. Like I, I, I don't think ownership or the GM swoops in and makes that move without significant motivation from the players, you know, Levine being the number one guy. What do you think about Borrego in Charlotte? I, I think in general, he's done a great job. Seems like an ascending coach seems to get along well with that team, but he also has not really faced any expectations until this year. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty high on Charlotte. I think there'll be a lot of fun. I think having a guy like Lamelo at the helm, even though he's only what, 20, 21, gives you a pretty high floor with, with the way that you can play. But just the fact that there are expectations, he doesn't have like this great pedigree necessarily to follow back on. Um, you know, I don't know who they re- would replace him with. I don't know what it would take to get there, but I, I just think it's, it's a situation to monitor just because there are expectations for the first time in a long time. Yeah. You know, I just don't know how high those, how high or how loud those expectations are. Like, I mean, I think, the, you know, they're a fun team, like, going into the season for the first time in a long time. But, I mean, they are, they have the fifth worst, or they've tied for the fourth worst playoff odds in the East, like, with the Wizards. Like, so, it's not, you know, it, it's not like um, they're going into the season and people are like, yeah, they're they're a top eight team, and then they fail to live up to that. So, and, and MJ... Like MJ sort of seems like kind of um, a bit more hands off with that type of stuff than than you might think. Like, uh, oh yeah, I mean, he, absolutely. He does, Compared to his player, yeah, I mean he meddles in stuff like like player moves and stuff like that more than he should. But he he's not a guy who's just constantly churning over the coach and the GM. Right. No, that's that's a good but point. If, but if Lamelo, like, if for whatever reason Lamelo is like man, I've had it with this guy, <laughs> then, yeah, maybe you could get, maybe you could yeah. get the game. Yeah, I guess my, my case there is they finished three games out of the seven seed last year. So I think internally it's easy to convince yourself, like, hey, we should we should be able to make that step. You know, we should be the seven next year. And and if you're not, you know, then it, it, it can look bad. The only other one that I'll throw out, and I, I can't believe it's taken us this long to bring up this team, but Chris Finch with the Minnesota Timberwolves. If you just Google Timberwolves coach, uh, it'll bring up a photo of Chris Finch. He, he just looks like somebody who just got fired in this photo. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> so my, my thing there is kind of along the same lines as um, as David Griffin, where uh, I don't think the Timberwolves front office has the because you got a new ownership group, right? And like, A-Rod. You know, I, A-Rod might want to swing it around a little bit and just completely clean house. But, I, I mean, I, I don't see Finch getting fired by the current front office. Like, I think maybe all heads roll, like, after the season. But they already got rid of one coach fairly recently um, who they hired in a BS coaching search in the first place so they they got their guy like the reason they moved so quickly in season was because they're afraid someone else was going to hire chris finch and so 
you know, I, I think Finch is there for as long as this front office is there. My one final counterpoint, they have a natural replacement already in staff. Pablo Prigioni is an assistant for the Timberwolves this year. <laughs> Coach and waiting. Yeah, he's, he's the Jason Kidd of the Timberwolves. Man, I don't, I mean, with the Timberwolves, like, everything you said is extremely logical and makes a lot of sense. But the counter argument is always like, well, it's the Timberwolves. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I think that that's true. I mean, I think it's just going to be a thing where all these guys probably get fired after the season. I mean, like, I think there's like a 15% chance that the Timberwolves like shock us all and win over 40 games this year. I mean, they've got, they've got some talented players. Uh, they don't, they're probably not going to play any defense, but um, you know, assuming they're as mediocre as we expect them to be, I think they'll just clean house after the season. Yeah. I mean, that's, they've, they've kind of had multiple MOs over the years. Sometimes they like to wait till after the season. Sometimes they like to do it in season like last year, but yeah, Gerson Rosas, I think maybe on a hotter seat than any coach in the league right now. Yeah. Ger- who gets fired first out of Gerson Rosas and David Griffin? Oh man. I, I really wish books would offer stuff like that. You might have to go way <laughs> offshore to find like an actual number <laughs> on that, but like that's, that's actually really tough. Like I, I would, I, we could have like an hour long pod just on that. I, I think probably David Griffin because like somehow it's it's a little more urgent for the Pelicans, and I, I think the Timberwolves might have a better roster. Yeah, because uh, like the Zion thing is just it's it's already at like stage ten emergency, and Carl Anthony Towns just doesn't seem to really care that much. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, it's like the, the Timberwolves have been at that emergency level for six years, and the alarm is just still going off, and, and people are just going about their business like it's not happening. Right. All right, man. I'll let you go. Um, appreciate you coming on. Like, like I said, keep an eye out for those Eastern Conference and Western Conference win total pods. Those will be coming in the next few weeks. But uh, looking forward to you, you know, getting a little more involved with our NBA gambling content this season. Uh, and I think you and I will probably hop on at least once a week from now until the start of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. Uh, looking forward to it. Have a good one. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.